Episode 181 of the BizTalk with Bill Roy podcast. The Wichita Business Journal created this podcast because we want to provide you with some insight into the people, places, companies, organizations, and issues that are important to Wichita's business community. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to avoid a shutdown? Do you want to avoid greater restrictions? Then wear a mask, keep your distance from others, avoid large groups, and wash your hands often. Sedgwick County Health Officer Gerald Minns watched as greater numbers came in, over 20% positive cases in Sedgwick County. Hospital ICUs at capacity, medical staffs exhausted. The data convinced him that Sedgwick County needs greater restrictions, and three out of five commissioners agreed. Dr. Minns joins me on the podcast to talk about the data and the restrictions. First, let me tell you about the big story in the weekly edition of the Wichita Business Journal. We appear to be very close to recertification for the 737 MAX aircraft and closer to getting that aircraft back in the air. That's a good first step, but it doesn't mean that Wichita's economy, filled with airplane manufacturers and suppliers, is going to come roaring back right away. Aerospace reporter Daniel McCoy has this week's cover story. It begins on page 12. Also this week, a special report on human resource professionals and how they're adapting to the pandemic, page 14. This week's list, Home Health Care Agencies, page 6. This week we spend 10 minutes with Doug Thurman. He's the president and CEO of American State Bank and Trust, page 23. Your business is being challenged like never before. You need all the help you can get. We're here to help by providing business intelligence. We've got it every week in our leads section. Bankruptcies, new real estate deals, building permits, new corporations, who owes back taxes, court judgments. Our leads section this week begins on page 21. Equity Bank has been our sponsor from the start, episode one. Equity Bank means business. That's why they've created business solutions to help you solve your business challenges. Visit them today at equitybank.com. The latest numbers available for Sedgwick County. A positive test rate over 20%. Nearly 16,000 cases of COVID-19. We're nearing 140 people dead. More than 109,000 Kansans have been infected, and more than 1,200 are dead across the state. Dr. Minns, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Let me ask you, first of all, what were the conditions you saw that led you to go to the County Commission this week with some additional uh, recommendations and restrictions? Well, a couple of things. Um, if you look at the data the county keeps about our cases, um, we look at the number of the tests we do. You know, the county does testing for people, drive-through testing, and we get a report every week of what percentage of those people that went through the test are positive. And at, uh, my, so in October the 3rd, 5.3% of the people going through getting testing were positive. So that's about one out of 20. Last week it was 24.3%. So that means one out of four. So we've gone from one out of 20 to one out of four in, in essentially six weeks. So the curve is just going up like that. And likewise, th most of those people are outpatients. Likewise, the hospital numbers have just ballooned up in the last two or three weeks, and the hospitals are they're bursting at the seams. I think they're they're struggling 
they're making it, but they're struggling to just take care of everybody they're getting, trying to create more space. As you know, we have to quarantine these patients and put them in a special isolation ward. They're having to remodel things as they go just to take care of these people. I think they have great concerns about, are we going to have to start sending people somewhere else if we don't have a bed? And the beds aren't their only problem. They have to have an adequate staff. Some of their staff are out ill. I think they're just saying there's got to be a ceiling. There's got to be an end point here. Uh, um, and I think it's worrying them that as more and more beds are occupied by people with COVID, what about the other conditions we have coming in that we get every week? Heart attacks, falls, fractures, all those kinds of things that are, are regular activity, the regular healthcare problems. This is kind of eating into our ability to take care of those patients too. So, so uh, those two things were just convincing me that the, the, the level of the virus in the community is much greater and that we've got to redouble our efforts to get that down. That the transmission rate is much higher. We're giving it to each other at a much higher frequency. We've got to get that under control. Can you review for us the additional restrictions we're under for until the end of the year uh, that were approved? Well, one of the main things we did is because the mask order is having very uh, <clears throat> inadequate compliance, uh, I know that a number of people commented to me that when they go into retail outlets, they don't, it's kind of some people wear it, some don't. Right. So two things were done. One, we tried to make the owners of the retail outlets to know they do have an obligation to tell people they need to have a mask, they need to have signs up. And if someone comes in without one, we'd like them to say, here's a mask, would you please wear it? Now, some businesses have gone to the point if they say no, then they say, well, probably this isn't the place you ought to be shopping. We don't want rudeness, we don't want confrontation, but just a gentle will. This is this is our rule. We'd like you to either abide by it or go elsewhere. And also then the commissioners, separate from my order, but the commissioners um, are exploiting something that I wasn't aware of that's new, that if the municipality, the city of Wichita, will sign off on it, they could actually then issue uh, fines for not abiding. Individuals or even businesses could be fined for not doing it. That's the first time we've ever broached that. In a hope that we can issue a mask order, but who's, I can't go walking around downtown to see, go to the malls and see who's doing it and who isn't. Right. And the police have other things. They're, they're, they're servicing traffic accidents. They're responding to people's calls about break-ins and stuff. They don't have time to do this. So we were struggling with, well, how do we get more enforcement? How do we get more encouragement, shall I say? Right. <laughs> Put the mask on, at least when you're around other people. So that was a major thing. We also did some other things. We still think that bars and nightclubs are probably not conducive to social distancing. Right. <laughs> and probably after you've had a few, it's even more difficult to remember all those. So we're asking the bars to close a little earlier. I mean, we're not stopping them. We're not closing their doors. Um, we think that the schools going back in the session has contributed to this, and we've had a number of the teachers come down positive. Kids don't get very sick, but they should, 
sure assist in its transmission. That's okay. I understand. It's hard for kids to observe all these rules. So we, we, we don't want to interfere with the schooling. That's up to the schools to decide. But we felt that if, if we're going to have sports activity outside the schools, some of these private things, we felt like it's best if we can keep the stands as sparse as possible. So right. we're, we're limiting spectators to parents, to two individuals, whether it's your mother and father, your grandmother and your father, whatever. So that hopefully the stands, we still, kids can still play, we can get them active, but we don't need those stands uh, crowded up. So, so there's some of the major things. There were some other things in it. Um, and there's some question about, uh, we're still debating about closing time for restaurants that don't serve alcohol. Probably we can be a little bit more flexible there. We need to clarify some of those things. Anytime you do an order, there's always some things that are, not worded exactly right or it's hard for people to interpret it. So we're still tweaking it. So. Right. How often are you speaking with other stakeholders in this, such as hospital leaders? How often do you communicate with folks in the community who, who have these, uh, these burdens uh, on them and, and need to give you input so you can make good decisions? Well, the hospital people give me, uh, Every week they tell me how big their load is and if there's special things that have come up, they contact me in between those weekly um, calls. So I keep in pretty close contact with them. I also keep in contact with the Cedric County Medical Society, uh, what physicians can be doing, what we as a group could be doing to help our patients understand why we're doing all these things. I'm in contact with the health department almost daily. Um, the commissioners, I meet with them as needed when something new is happening or we have something to alert them to, such as the increase in the number of cases. And of course, I try to keep in communication with KDHE and Dr. Norman in Topeka to make sure we're on the same page and we know what things are developing, what's coming down the line. So I would say those are the main people I talk to directly. Now, obviously, I try to review what CDC is putting up on its website every week so I know what's changing there. So those are the main people I'm consulting with. Can you give, a, give us a little bit more specific detail about how this is impacting local hospitals? I talked to Bill Volich just not long ago, and he said they are stretched too, too, too thin, and they have staffing troubles and that sort of thing. They're out of ICU beds at this point, it sounds like our whole community is. Can you give us an idea a little bit more about the impact on hospitals and of course, as you say, that uh, has an impact on their ability to treat people without COVID. Yeah, their, their census is happening right at the max. I'm not saying they don't have any beds, but it's at the max. Their ERs are just swamped with people coming in with these symptoms. Not all of them have COVID, but they've got to screen all those people. And in some cases, they have to have people sitting down in the ER for a long period of time while they're waiting for a bed to open up. And so some of their, their space down the ED that normally they would be seeing new patients, it's, they got people sitting in those rooms, so they can't put new walk-ins in there. I think the other big thing that's having on the hospitals is the staff is wearing thin. Uh, this is intense work. I, I believe in the ICUs, most of the ICUs are running 12-hour shifts. That means the nurses, the doctors, the respiratory therapists, everybody that's in the ICU, 
are in there, many of them for 12 hours straight, wearing full garb, full gowns, the mask, the caps, everything for 12 hours straight, working with very sick patients, high intensity care. You know, a lot of these patients, for some reason, it's hard to explain that when they're on the ventilator, if you turn them over on their stomach, they seem to have better oxygenation. Well, you wouldn't believe how many people it takes to turn some of these people over onto their stomach and right. occasionally. Just think, one person can't do that. It probably takes four or five to do that. I know that they're, I mean, they went in knowing this was part of medicine, but this is not your day-to-day activity. This is a huge, huge task. And I know that they're, I know the emotional trauma on them is great. I know, you know, they go home after 12 hours and they got families and they got dinners to cook. They got all those things you got to do at home, mail to open. So I know that they're really, some of them are struggling. So I was, uh, we had an event this morning at the school honoring our healthcare workers and they asked each of us to make a few comments. And I, I said, I don't want to overextend this analogy because it's a different situation, but just like uh, during World War II, we were fighting a battle. And uh, this in a sense is a battle with a virus. And in World War II, if you remember the, your history, the Battle of Britain, when um, they were daily bombings from the Nazis and uh, the Royal Air Force was, every pilot they had was up in the air every day and they were stretching it thin and they were to the point they weren't sure they were going to be able, how much longer to defend them. And fortunately at the last minute, I guess the Nazis decided to back off and try a different tactic. And I think Roosevelt said this will remember as, be remembered as our finest hour. And in some sense, Again, I don't want to extend this analogy too far, but I think once this is all over, I think what our healthcare workers did will be remembered as their finest hours. So. Such a, such hard work being done. And it was interesting also talking to Bill Volich uh, from Wellesley Medical Center. He said there are people who are suggesting that we set up Century 2, for example, as maybe a, a field hospital. And he said, who would I staff it with? I'm having trouble staffing my hospital, and I'm sure Ascension is too. So yep. a field hospital seems out of the question as well. It's exactly right. It's really not space. It's a limiting factor. We can find empty space, the old library. We could do things like that. Trouble is, you got to have people in there. Uh, I know there's been some exploration of bringing in tent nurses, traveling nurses, but this is not a Sedgwick County problem. It's not a state problem. It's a national problem. And those people are in high demand. Everybody's trying to recruit traveling nurses nowadays. Um, and that's the other aspect of that. Even if we could find them, it's not going to be cheap. Um, when you This this country understands supply demand. You bet. <laughs> the demand is very exactly. high. The supply is low. The cost is way up. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I've known you for a few years. I know you to be a very patient man. At one point in the meeting, I did sense a bit of frustration. Uh, you were mentioning that you're not just guessing about the data. You're not just guessing about some of the stuff uh, you're seeing and recommendations you're making. Talk about the point you wanted to make with that. Well, I think I, at times I have trouble convincing people that we're not making this up. We are looking at data. It's not perfect data. 
that there's no doubt when you go from 5% to 24%, the numbers are way up. Um, you can quibble about is the data collection as accurate as it could be, but when it's, it's that big, it's, there's no question. When our hospitals are busting at the seams and they have twice as many patients in their ICUs as they had just a month ago, you don't need to be, this doesn't need to be high science. Right. So I, I guess I, I apologize if I revealed my frustration. I probably should be, do a better job at that. But we're, we need to be on the argument about the data. Is it accurate? How accurate is it? It's, it's, uh, it's at a point there is no equivocation here. There is no doubt. We are right. we're in the soup here. Right. I've asked you this before in a different setting. I'll ask it again here for the podcast. What is your approach as our county's health officer to balancing public health with the impact on the economy? You know, I don't think there's any more difficult issue than trying to do that. I think if you look at what other countries have done, the countries that have been so successful in shutting this virus down are the countries in which no individual rights exist. And so, as I understand it, China, they got under control. But that was by essentially saying, everybody stays at home, no excuses. Now, I don't know how they set up grocery deliveries and all that over there. I don't know the details. And there's been a few other countries that have just shut the place down. First of all, I don't think anybody in this our society has a stomach for that. And obviously, China is a much different government, much different economic model. Um, I agree that a shutdown like that, while it would bring the virus under control pretty quickly, would have such a severe economic impact that you would have more suffering from homelessness, lack of food supply. And that too is a health problem. So trying to balance that spectrum of how much can you limit people's activities and yet try to keep the virus at bay. So I think most of the things you've seen we've done, we've not closed any things. We have maybe restricted hours. Um, we may have done some things that they have to spend some more money, like maybe more employees to kind of monitor the things in the store, maybe fewer people in the store at a time. I, I admit that may have some impact, but we've, we've tried to do it in such a way that you can still open the doors and have business. We understand we don't want to put people out of work. But I, I agree with you, Bill. That is the most difficult thing to do is figure out how do we get enough control of the virus, and yet we haven't made it difficult for people just to have a decent living. It seems like if we go through some short-term pain, we might be able to have long-term gain. The short-term pain being restrictions, we wear a mask, we distance, things like that. And if we can get it under control, then we are more free to open up businesses again and open up our society again. That seems to be an easy computation, but maybe not for everybody. Well, the other thing is, you can't, it's hard to keep a business open when all your employees are sick. Right. So I, I don't want to make this sound like this is a battle between employment and the virus. Keeping the virus at bay is also going to help your businesses and your, your factories and everything have a full component and full capacity. Um, and that's one of the problems the hospitals are having. It's not just the space. I'll get back to that. But some of their employees are sick with this virus and are at quarantine. And so, as we mentioned, they're having trouble having a full capacity 
just because there's staffing issues. So it, it's not either or, it's both. How do we, how do, we do both? Uh, there are medical exceptions uh, for wearing a mask. Do you have any advice for businesses as they try to enforce that recommendation? I know, you know, as you said before, you don't want to be confrontational, but uh, you do want to adhere to the recommendations that are made. You know, in a perfect world, I would hope we could have 100% mask wearing. We realize that's probably not achievable. I think most reasonable people, if you just say, would you please wear a mask if you're here? I think they'll probably put on. Now, if someone has a legitimate reason they can't wear a mask, we're not asking the stores to beat them over the head or criticize them. And if the person just says, well, I, have a, I can't wear one, okay. Now, it's up to the business. I know there are some businesses in town that have a sign on the door that says, if you don't have a mask, don't come in. Now, I think in some cases that's because some of the owners have some health problems and they just don't want to take the risk. So the business can do that. If they feel like, okay, you got a reason you can't wear a mask, that's fine. Okay, we, we're not going to harangue you, but you probably should just go to some other store. Um, you know, there used to be these signs up, no shoes, no shirt, no service. Let's just so, add one there. Just add no mask, no service. It's no need for confrontation. If, if you can't do it, fine. But you can get your groceries somewhere else. You can get your shoes somewhere else. You can go to Amazon and get almost anything. Yeah. It's not like we're keeping you from spending your money. Any other message that you have for the folks who are listening to this podcast? I know you're trying to drive home the message in in the absence of a vaccine in the absence of other actions we can take wear a mask be socially distanced wash your hands often uh, any other advice for for our listeners i think the other thing i would say is please accept our recommendations and try to have a rational calm discussion with your friends and other acquaintances that maybe aren't as on board, on board as you are and try to convince them, like you said, we're just trying to balance things here. And if we all can get this virus down a little bit better, more people will be at work. And this won't last forever. We will return to full openness someday. So don't act like this is the end of the world and it's gonna be like this forever. We know we'll have a vaccine or treatment. It won't, won't be here as quick as we'd like, but we'll get there. So this is temporary, and you know, I, I don't want to go back to the war analogy too much, but think about what our parents and grandparents had to do during World War II. Groceries are being rationed, sugar was being rationed. They had to make a lot of sacrifices for us to get through that, and they got through it. So, you know, we have been very fortunate over the last number of years. We haven't had to make big sacrifices because of global incidents like this. Um, but, you know, our ancestors had to do similar things. The Great Depression, my goodness, look, right. at, look at the severity of that in terms of unemployment and people without places to live and soup lines. This is easy compared to that. <laughs> Try to get that message out to your, your friends and whatever that th this is the best thing to do for all of us. You're also the Dean of the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Wichita. I know this is a learning experience for your folks. How's the, how's the university, uh, the medical school doing these days? 
I think overall we're doing pretty well. Um, last April and May, um, that was a period of time where the hospitals didn't feel like they could provide sufficient protective equipment, so they asked our students to stay out of the hospital until they could get that rectified. We had to scramble and figure out some ways to do our teaching and giving them experience through telemedicine and through videos and things like that. So that was a pretty tough time. But at the current time, we have enough protective equipment that our students and our residents are still in the hospitals, still in the clinics, getting the usual learning they're getting. But we've had to scramble and we're doing almost everything by Zoom now. There's hardly any in-person classes going on anymore. It's all, almost entirely by Zoom. That's taken our faculty some time to get used to. I think some of our faculty are not pleased with that, but they view that as the sacrifice they have to make. Um, it's pretty hard to get, oftentimes we find it difficult to get people to engage in a discussion rather than just sit there and listen to you talk. Um, so, but we're making it. Our, our classes are conducting, we're, people are moving through the curriculum. We think we'll get them graduated in time, which we're very fortunate of. But again, these numbers going up and up and up, I mean, at some point, they may even have to suspend education. We we hope not, but that's a possibility out there. Dr. Gerald Menz, thank you so much for spending time with us. Good luck as you move forward through this as the health officer for Sedgwick County and as the dean of the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Wichita. Thanks for spending some time with us. I know you're very busy. We appreciate it. Well, we hope you're doing well. Wear a mask, keep your distance, avoid crowds, wash your hands, sacrifice now, and we can avoid more shutdowns. Well, that's it for Biz Talk with Bill Roy this week, episode 181. Check out all our podcast episodes at our Biz Talk with Bill Roy hub. It's at wichitabusinessjournal.com. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Biz Talk with Bill Roy is a production of the Wichita Business Journal. Thanks to producer Brittany Showalter and thanks very much to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Creating the business concept turned out to be the easy part. The challenges that follow is where Equity Bank comes in. Equity Bank was built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let them help your business evolve and solve your challenges. Tomorrow is here. Visit them today at equitybank.com backslash evolve. Be well and be safe and wear a mask. Have a profitable week.